0: From the Ruinous Media Network and KAOS 89.3 Olympia, I'm Mark Lee Morrison and this is the Season 9 premiere episode of Low Profile. When I started this show five years ago, wow it's been five years, I made a short list of artists I wanted to feature. Near the top of that list was the British musician Vashti Bunyan. Vashti Bunyan released her beautiful album Just Another Diamond Day in 1970, and it was almost immediately buried in time. This is a little bit of the title track.
1: Just another diamond day, just a blade of grass, just another bit of hay on the horses' purse. la. la, 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 la.
0: She'd had her fair share of disappointment in the music business and walked away from it altogether until some three decades later when people like me discovered her music for the first time. In her recent memoir Wayward from White Rabbit Publishing, she chronicles her early days in the pop music world, collaborations with members of the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin, her unbelievable horse and wagon journey throughout the UK that inspired her first album, and her unlikely return to the music world. Vashti is speaking with me today from her home.
2: I am in Edinburgh in Scotland. It's a, a very cold day. We've had snow, um, but we've been to the beach and it's, it was beautiful. Uh, what can I say? Edinburgh is a beautiful city and I'm very lucky to live here.
0: I'd love to see it someday.
2: <laughs> I hope you will.
0: Now, uh, the reason you're out doing interviews now is you have a memoir that's been recently released in the States. It's about It came out about a year ago in Europe, right? That's
2: right. It came out at the end of March last year and in Jan- January in the United States. This year. January this year.
0: <laughs> yes. I, I think it's just fantastic. Um beautiful beautiful cover and beautiful words inside um you really just sh- shed so much light and uh, went down memory lane in a big way
2: I did I really did
0: <laughs> How long were you working on this uh, on this memoir?
2: Well it started quite a long time ago uh probably in about 2000. Um because I wanted to write the story for my children. And then mm. I started getting back into music, which I haven't been doing anything to do with music for a long, long time. But when it all started happening again, my story just got put aside until about two years ago. And then I really started writing it. Um, yeah, I, I think because of lockdown, really... <laughs> I, I had sure. I had time like so many people, and that's when I really got going with it and decided I really do have to write this story for my children so that they know what happened and have some kind of feeling for the the way things were when their parents were young. That's really what I wanted to do. That's how it started. Anyway,
0: have your children uh, given you feedback on it yet? Yes. <laughs>
2: yes yes i think there were a lot of things that they didn't know and uh they've been wonderful about it and i think i think they've enjoyed it i think some bits of it they found a bit difficult but uh mostly it's been wonderful feedback yes from from all of my family
0: yeah excellent so i i don't want to give away too much of what is Contained in here, but we have a lot of uh, a lot of details from your very earliest recording days um, before you got completely dismayed with the music business. Yes, and yes. I guess sort of the road to that dismay.
2: Yes. Well, I think the first idea from the publisher was to just make it about a journey I made with a horse and cart from the south of England to the north of Scotland, writing songs along the way. That was what they wanted to begin with. And I said, but what about the before? And what about yeah. the after? And so I, I, I decided that that was what I would have to do. What I really wanted to do was to describe my music experience when I was very young and also the different experience since I came back to it.
0: I think it's interesting to know that you, you didn't grow up in a musical household. It wasn't think, a musical family.
2: Certainly none of my family played an instrument, although my mother did secretly. Um, but my father had a large collection of classical records. And, and so there was music in the house, a lot yes. of music in the house, but not played music. And and But I think I was the only one in my family that actually decided to play music
0: So your, your mother's uh, m- secret musical life um, is reflected in your song Mother yes. Um, yes And I would like right now to share that with the listener My mother
1: played and sang sometimes Believing herself I no.
0: Herself alone, and uh, you say you would just um, peek in through yeah. the door, and then and sneak away. Yes, it's so a, so it got to be secret for her. Still, you didn't she, blow her cover.
2: Exactly, she didn't know I was there, and it it was because I was given the piano, and I I couldn't play it, but I did see through a slightly open door my mother play it. And that was the first time I'd actually heard her singing voice and that she could play the piano. And that made me, it made me feel sad for her that she had given all that up to marry my father. People of her generation became wives and mothers and gave up all of their creative, uh, I don't know, their, their, their dreams maybe their identity exactly it became yeah Yeah. I don't think she ever really thought about it I don't think she thought that she would ever deserve to have any kind of career in music but I think at that moment the moment I wrote the song about I realized she could have had
0: so I I want to go a little bit in reverse order. The song "Mother" was from your last record, which is about a decade old now, mm-hmm. called "Heart Leap."
1: Yes,
0: and that is the record that you self-produced and engineered. Is that
2: yes, yeah? Um,
0: and it, very impressive for a first go at that. I gotta say.
2: Well, thank you. Well, yes. It took me a long time to learn, and I I think I said in the book that I I applied to a college to do a a music course, to do a music production course, and they said, no, no, you're far too old, you won't understand it. (laughs) So that made me more and more determined to learn it for myself, And, and it was the most magical experience for me, because when I was very young, I didn't have access to any kind of uh, studio work or technology in any way. I was just the singer who came in and then went away again. But actually that desk with all those lights and faders and buttons was just really fascinating to me when I was young. And so to have it on a computer screen when I was first starting to learn It was just really good. Really good. I enjoyed it very much. I mean, I've only scratched the surface. I mean, there's so much more I could have learned. But Mm. I I did enjoy it. I did really love it.
0: Just yeah, the the arrangements are just so tasty on there. Just really delightful. What do
2: you call it? The Goosebumps. Oh, it, really? It has
0: that quality.
2: Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah it, it, yeah, it was fun. And I think what was also wonderful for me was that I have never learned to play the piano, or play keyboards in any way, but I was able to write what would have been the left hand and then another track for what would have been the right hand. And actually, in that song, Mother, there are three hands, but <laughs> um, it's wonderful to be able to do that, even though I can't play the piano to make it to make the sounds that are in my head. If I were to be able to play it, it was, was wonderful for me.
0: Technology is not all bad.
2: It's not all bad. It can be a lot. <laughs> <of fun>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, it's starkly different from your, uh, initial singles. Why does the sky turn
1: grey every night?
0: Your first single in the room recording with you—you you have uh, Mick Jagger and pre-Zeppelin Jimmy Page yeah. in on the session.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Some heavy cats. I mean, they're they're just going to work. Is yeah. that how they're viewing it? Did did you did you fraternize with with those folks very much?
2: Not at all. I was way too shy. And uh, it, my first single was given to me by. Andrew Lou Goldham, who managed the Stones, and he gave me one of their songs, "Something's Just to Stick in Your Mind, by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. And I didn't want to record their songs. I wanted to record my songs. (laughs) So I was was terribly sulky about it. But anyway, I did it, and it was the most wonderful experience. And yes, Mick Jagger was there. And and, um, a, a lot of people who have since become very uh, successful musicians like Jimmy Page. He was just a session musician then. And and no, I didn't know any of them. You know, I was, I was way too shy and uh, uh, didn't speak to anybody if I could help it. <laughs>
0: I just and You You worked with Jimmy Page again, right?
2: Well, my second single was promised to be one of mine, but actually Andrew brought me into the studio to record a Jimmy Page song. And that made me uh, extra, extra angry. Well, not angry, I was pissed and sulky. But um I sang it really badly. And so of course nothing happened to it. And I left.
0: It, <laughs> it, is that about the time you decided civilization, pop culture, I'm done with you? <laughs> and
2: Nearly, nearly. I think after that, I did record a a few songs of my own for Andrew, uh, but they were never released. And so I did. It it took about a year and a half for me to become completely disillusioned with the whole thing and to leave. Yes, leave civilization. Well, to me, it, it seemed like it was the only thing I could do was to leave London, to leave everything I knew and to try to make a completely different kind of life. And I did that with um, my boyfriend at the time, my dog, a horse and a little wagon. We took to the road. And that was quite incredible, quite incredible. And I do talk about it in the book. I do try to describe what it was like to actually have nothing. To have really nothing you know we didn't have anything behind us we had no no parental help no family help no any kind of help at all um we just we just went and lived on very little
0: and uh i think it's worth mentioning that uh donovan fronted you the money to get your horse and carriage
2: he did he did i still owe him um
0: (laughs) You still well, haven't paid him
2: back. <laughs> well, you see, it was an inheritance from an aunt who had died, and the person who the uncle who was dealing with her will uh, sent Donovan the hundred pounds in a postal order. But by that time, we were already halfway up the country and didn't know anything about it. but somebody somebody did cash it, but it wasn't Donovan. and so he oh. he never knew that I had tried to pay pay him back um and so somebody somebody owes it to him but uh and i guess i do but
0: <laughs> I, in a roundabout in sort a of way
2: roundabout <laughs> sort of way somebody else took it but um yeah I, I do still owe him 100 pounds yes he helped us to buy the horse and the wagon because he had bought some islands off the west coast of scotland that he wanted to populate with Sympathetic people, uh, not as a commune, not as a community, but just to have people take up the, the ruined cottages that were on this land that he'd bought and have writers and painters and, and singers and just artists um, to populate this piece of ground. And this seemed absolutely wonderful to me and my partner. And that's what we set up and set off to go towards was. Uh, The outer reaches of Northern Britain, where it's kind of cold. (laughs) But we did it. It took a year and a half. It took a year and a half to get there, but we did do it. And I wrote songs along the way.
0: And then those songs became your first proper album. Yes. Just Another Diamond Day. Oh, you have it. Which is... I have I have the radio station's copy here. I have it at home as well, but uh, I I couldn't find it. I found I found all your other ones. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought them just in case I need to reference anything. That's lullaby music for my kids, but it's also music that I just enjoy listening to. Um, and you've you've said that um, your your children use some of the songs as lullabies or is
2: that? Oh, no. I never sang to my children and that that was one of my great sadnesses. Well, it's a sadness to me now, but in all of that time, from the time that Diamond Day came out to when I went back to music, was 30 years and I, I never had anything to do with music in that time. But after Diamond Day came out, I got a lot of messages from people to say that it comforted their babies or that it comforted them, that it is very, it is comforting music. But then I wrote the songs to comfort me, to try and keep me going through a fairly difficult journey. Um It, it kept me going. And, and, and so that is wonderful that it's come around to that, that it actually sends little babies to sleep. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a very good feeling.
0: Yeah, and in my family it's worked for 4 so far.
2: Really so, yeah. 4. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, yeah. Right.
0: Um great. so yeah, it Diamond Day came out, nobody promoted it. Yeah. You weren't particularly happy with the way it even sounded because it wasn't your vision. It was the producer's vision, and you spent the next 30 years basically blocking it out and living a life, and raising a family, and and yes. whatever your private experience was.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, it came out at the end of 1970, by which time I had my fourth child, and and then it, it was reissued in the year 2000. So Yeah, a big, a big gap. But Oh, how wonderful. I mean, it was so completely ignored in its own day by my contemporaries. And yet when it came out again, it seemed that people who were the age I was when I was writing those songs, understood it, really got it. And well, that was an amazing surprise to me because I was afraid it was going to have the same re- reaction all over again—that it would be dismissed as nursery rhymes or just a lightweight bit of nonsense, which it was seemed to be when it was when it was new. But then, 30 years later, it seemed to resonate with a whole different generation, and of course, that was that was magical for me.
0: I think that um, young adulthood is just always going to be synonymous with nonconformity, uh-huh. and so a document like this is going to resonate. The, I just feel like we're all very lucky to actually have insight because now when I hear a song like Timothy Grubb.
1: decided one day to go into the wood and build them a house and live there if they could. And they stayed there a while in the trees and the rain till one day two blue men said you were all insane and to
0: please not come here. That song make me start to well up a little bit because I hear the words now and you're singing about something that really happened. You're just changing you're putting characters in the song. But this was like a very um heavy emotional experience for you a lot of this stuff. It was
2: Yeah. It, it was
0: it wasn't a walk in the park. It was <laughs> a treacherous journey.
2: It really wasn't but the it, it in writing the story, or, or especially of the horse journey, I mean, a lot of people have found it so romantic, you know, that it was it's a, an it was an incredible thing to do, and what a what a magical thing to do. And so, and for me, it wasn't romantic in the slightest. It wasn't, you know, it was kind of difficult. But I didn't want to ruin that. I didn't want to ruin the feeling of of the album. By by making it too too muddy and rainy and <laughs> and difficult, um, so I had to make a balance really, and I I hope I've done that. That I hope I haven't ruined it for anyone, um, and that uh, just explaining it. But and as you were saying, this this the song Timothy Grubb, and I wrote the actual story of it in the book, um, and and so now you now you get it. Um I have that
0: connection. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. That's that's great.
0: A thing that went completely under my radar is that I didn't realize someone had made a documentary about this experience with you. Kieran Evans. Mm-hmm. And it came out about 15 years ago. Yes. Um, awesome. I watched it. He uh, he supplied me with a a copy of it.
2: Oh, that's so, kind of him. Uh, good. I'm glad he did. Glad yes. He did.
0: Yeah. yeah, I reached out and he was gracious. Um,
2: Good, Thank you.
0: And it's just I, I just kind of tried to put myself in your shoes as uh, you're visiting all these places, telling the story of that particular journey and being right back on the soil there. Yes. Which I'm guessing a lot of those places you hadn't seen since you were.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it, we re re the the journey as much as we could. Uh, I think we did it probably in six different goes um to try and revisit some of the places that I remembered very vividly. Uh, and uh, Kieran was wonderful. I mean, he, he shot something like eighty hours. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all wow. edited yeah. down into, into, uh, what was it, 90 minutes, I think. But he, about that,
1: yeah.
2: yeah but he, he made a great job of it because there, there was so much that we didn't use. So, yeah, I, it's, um, yes, it's 15 years since we did that. But I think it, I think it's, uh, well, it, it says a lot of what I've said in, in the book, I guess, but it's, uh, more visual. <laughs>
0: Um, sure sure yeah and and I I guess definitely more on the spot yes yeah, yeah. really
2: <laughs> I couldn't edit it. I, I I didn't get to edit it
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> were you were you done with uh the album look aftering your your comeback record or were you still working on it during that time
2: I was still working on it Yes, I was. And Kieran actually filmed some of it, some of the sessions, and that didn't come into the documentary. Um, yeah, I was still working on it. it, it yeah. I, I was working with the, the producer, well, the musician, Max Richter, who was living in Edinburgh at the time, so we worked on it together. Um, it took a while. It took a while. I was still writing the songs when we were, when we were working on it. And he was wonderful. He was incredible and uh, so different. You know, back in the day with with Andrew Alden and, and even with Joe Boyd, the producer was king. And I didn't get to say, um, could we do it another way? Could we? Maybe I don't want that instrument in there. Oh, no, that was that was never possible. Well, probably worse for me because I was so shiny. But um yeah, the producer had the last word on everything. But when I came to make look aftering with Max Richter, I was working with him. And that yeah. wow. <laughs> that that was so very different. And uh yeah, a great experience. I just feel so lucky that I've had that second second go at it.
0: Was it like a second youth in some way?
2: Yeah, well, it was. It was like, uh, I don't know, it's very hard to describe how how it felt to be coming back to something that I'd left so long before. Um, And also to find it so different and to find people so different, to find other musicians so different and so generous.
0: This is Low Profile, I'm your host Mark Lee Morrison, and I'm speaking today with the British musician Vashti Bunyan, whose anticlimactic music career was given a second life 30 years after the release of her debut album. Her recent memoir, Wayward, is available now from White Rabbit Publishing. Low Profile receives in-kind support from Old School Pizzeria, Three Magnets Brewing Company, San Francisco Street Bakery. Schwartz's Delhi and Rainy Day Records in Olympia, Washington. And this show is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to sign up for flexible monthly donations, please visit patreon.com/slash low profile. You were definitely at the at the onset of sort of a renaissance for your music. You were, you were very popular for an unpopular artist in that <laughs> moment. <laughs> Um, the the first thing I heard after Diamond Day was the um, Prospect Hummer record Edge. with Animal Collective, and um, oh. I just think it's just lovely. There's nothing really like it before okay. or since, and. Um, you didn't really touch on that too much in the book, but I was just wondering if there, if you have any uh, fond memories of that particular project.
2: Yeah, really. Um, well, I met them here in Edinburgh when they were supporting uh, Kieran Hebden quartet, and uh, they were very shy, very shy. And uh, uh, Kieran said, "These guys all have your record," and I said, "Why?" <laughs> I didn't mean it so rudely, but I thought, they're from they're from the United States. How do they know about this record? And uh, it turned out that they had wanted to ask me to put some vocals into their next recording. And, and so that was just, you know, it was a lovely invitation. And I went down to London, and they had three days off from their tour, and we did a song a day. And they were just, I don't know, the way they concentrated, the way they focused, the way they played together, and the way they brought me into it, where I thought I would just be doing a few backing vocals, but they pushed me right to the front. At that point, I, I didn't know if I could sing anymore. You know, and they were so, yeah, they, they, they made me, made me do it. Wow, what a memory. Just, they were so great. And, um, and so unusual for me. And, and when I went to any of their shows later on in the time I knew them, you know, they never played anything that they had recorded. They only wanted to play what they were just working on now. And I, yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was fantastic. They didn't mind the past like I do. <laughs> 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 they, 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 they are always completely new. Uh, I loved that about them.
0: Were you singing your own words, or did they write the lyrics for you?
2: They, they wrote the whole thing. Yeah, they wrote the three songs. They were all theirs, and uh, I think I, I made a mistake with one of the. <laughs> one of the lyrics and did it wrong but um yeah they didn't mind um yeah it, they were their songs lovely songs so different to what i had ever done or even what i've done since it, it, yeah it's lovely it's a lovely little unique unique creation that they they made mm-hmm. and uh i i think it didn't really sound like anything that they've done particularly, or anything that I had done or since have done, which is why I like it so much. It, yeah, I, I'm so grateful that I did it, you know, and that they made me, <laughs> they made me sing. It was great, really good.
0: Was that your uh, re-entry into recording, or? I had- Were there other collaborations before? Uh,
2: well, with Devendra Banhart,
0: uh,
1: right
2: <laughs> across the airwaves yes yeah he sent me a song i put my voice on the top and, and sent it back to him in california i think he was in california he might have been in new york i can't remember but anyway he was in united states i was in scotland and we made a song together that was the first thing um and a, a, a band called piano magic i uh not, yeah yes yeah, piano magic glenn johnson he was the first one who got me into a studio. Um, and I had no idea if I could sing or not. And uh, you know, standing in front of a microphone for the first time in 30 something years, could I do it? But to hear myself actually sing, <laughs> it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. And I really loved it. And I came out of there, called my daughter, and said, OK. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to make another record. And I was so happy. So that was Glenn Johnson, and then Devendra, and then Animal Collective. And then I had enough songs after that to to record Look Aftering.
0: Which, Look Aftering, is a word that was thrown around in your family.
2: Yes. Yes, it was. It, it, It meant to... To take care of somebody or something. Um, and I didn't I didn't intend to call it that. <laughs> but when we were mastering, I, I had a, a different idea. But um, yeah, I, I just thought it was it was only when we were mastering that I understood that the songs on Just Another Diamond Day in 1969-70 were about looking forward. And the songs that we were mastering that day were so much about looking back, and, and, and it was like bookends. And uh, I think I just said, you know, well, we've got a word in my family, uh, look-aftering, and everybody went, yeah, that's it. And I thought, oh, um, <laughs> is it? And I really worried about it. I really worried that it would just be dismissed as silly or, or I don't know. But I, I like it now. I I know that it fits no, um, uh, it fits the songs.
0: Were you in the same room with everyone on this record, or was it was it sort of passed around because it was it was done in the digital age?
2: Yeah. So. Um, well, Joanna Newsom came in uh, when she was touring. She was in Glasgow, not far from here, and she came in for one morning and recorded harp on two of the songs, just straight off. First listening to it, she was in this huge studio all by herself with an enormous harp. And she had been touring and her fingers were all all cracked up. And she was super gluing them together. I mean, super gluing the ends of her fingers to make them hard enough to be able to play. And, I just, and she was so tiny in <laughs> this great big harp. And she was so great. She was so generous. And that, that was such a good day. And and another day in London with Devendra and the members of Veshiver that he was playing with, and Max and all his musicians there, and Robert Kirby, who had arranged uh, three of the songs on Diamond Day, and I hadn't seen him for over 30 years. And uh, he, he arranged a lot of Nick Drake's music, and... I, I loved what he had done for Diamond Day, and Max actually got in touch with him when we were going to record a few songs in London um, to ask him to come and play trumpet and French horn, which he did. And uh, it was so good to see him because uh, I don't know. He just he. I said it in the book. He looked at me and he said, with with his eyes brimming, "You know, we're the survivors." and yes and um i knew what he meant and we were going to do some recording together after that but he tragically died and uh, that was a real shock because he, he you know he'd come back into my life as, as this wonderful musician and he liked the songs i was writing this was after the and um I went to see him played him some songs and said, oh yes we can do this and he had just been recording with a uh, with a large um, brass band <laughs> and he said I know we'll bring in the tuba that <laughs> <And I> was <laughs> so perfect for me and he just had these wonderful ideas for the songs um, and, and after he died I couldn't do anything. And, and that's why there's a big gap between Luke Aftering and Hartley that I just didn't have the, the heart to, to carry on with it. But in the end, I decided I have to do it myself, try and try and think how, how he might have approached the songs and try and do it myself. So I did. <laughs> I, mm. I tried anyway.
0: Yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a strong return the way the way it all worked out and just surrounded by people supporting you just
2: really yes i mean how lucky is that beautiful. yeah
0: and and for the listener uh if you caught that i can attest that the super glue trick does work it'll <laughs> it'll get you through at least a take or two <laughs> <laughs> i used it for for bass guitar but really I, I, yeah Wow. Bass sometimes will just shred my fingers, even if they have calluses.
2: Ooh, 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 ooh.
0: It's <laughs> no fun.
2: No. Oh my goodness. No. Mm. Well, yeah, it sure worked. It did.
0: So we had a, yeah, had the roughly 30, 35 year interim between the first two records and another almost a decade. Yeah. Between the next, how long is this interim that we're in right now?
2: Ah, <laughs> well, it was 2014 that Hartley mm-hmm. came out, and I haven't written a single song since then. But I have written a book.
0: <laughs> that's,
2: that's that's my yeah. <laughs> but,
0: yeah. Yeah, uh, that'll that'll take it out of you. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
2: I pick up my guitar sometimes and I do have hope that maybe something else will 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 appear because songs to me just appear. You know, they don't I can't work. I can't sit down and say, right, I'm gonna write a song. Just doesn't work like that. And two of the songs on Look Aftering, one of them, the same bit different, um, just came to me when I was in a supermarket. Just out of the blue, just came to me. And the song called Here Before I was just sitting in a chair and it was there. It was there with my guitar. It was just there. And other times, you know, you can work and work and work and work on, on, on a song. And um, just sometimes they they pop up out of the blue and I am waiting <laughs> for another one to do that. Um,
0: yeah, you're, uh, you're on call. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. And you're generally creative person as well. You, your drawings in this book are lovely. Oh. And do you still draw?
2: I do some of those drawings. I mean, when I said before, I did start to write it a long, long time to a long time ago, and a few of those drawings, the more detailed ones, I did then. And then as I was writing the book, I thought, oh, I really need something for this. You know, It took me a whole day to draw a horseshoe, <laughs> to, try, to try to get it right. And then a few other things that I had done recently, yes. And I, I, it was a bit like finding my voice again after so many years that I could actually draw uh, and put down what was in my head. Uh, I enjoyed doing that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just wondering about uh any any collaborations that have arisen since the the last the last thing that I noticed was uh, you were on an Avalanches record oh, a yes. couple of years ago.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was incredible. Um,
0: were you sampled there or did you
2: Sampled, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So they just took your recordings from way back
2: yeah, from, from Diamond and Day. Yes.
0: From Diamond Day. And then put a completely different chord formation and yeah, yeah. repurpose the melody. Very yeah. I don't know. Those, those cats up. are always doing something creative.
2: And, and and because and they just took two words out of out of the sample, reflecting light. And uh, mm-hmm. and, and called the whole track reflecting light. And they 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 were very generous with the with the royalties. <laughs> I thought <laughs> since they only took a tiny bit, but they, because they took those words, I think, um, and called the whole song that, they were very generous to towards me, and I really loved what they did. It was great. So you know, to think there's fifty years. It was a fifty year old song that they used.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, goodness me.
0: Hi. have you uh have you heard from donovan or ever tried to reach out in the, uh in the 21st century
2: uh yeah we, we we did a show together a long time ago uh, well actually no i mean it been about 15 years ago or something um yeah we were on a On a bill together. Um, but I don't, no, I haven't, I haven't really spoken to him about those days. Um, it would be good actually to talk to him about it if he can remember it at all. Um, then yeah, it might be fun. But yeah, I, I don't really see many people from back then. Joe Boyd, I see occasionally, and that's really fun. And we did a few shows, um, tributes to Nick Drake with a lot of, a lot of different singers. And I did one song. Um, And that was, that was really fun. Uh, So yeah, it's nice to see Joe. He was so nice about the book. It's just really lovely, really lovely. So yeah, again, I feel very lucky.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a terrific story, and uh, I just can't recommend this book enough.
2: Oh, one person that I am in touch with is Andrew Oldham, Andrew Lou Goldham. Yes. He's been fantastic for me, really, really a sort of wise person with a lot of really good advice and, uh, and fun. I think, uh, yeah, I would never, in all of those years, thought that I would ever see or hear from him again. But that has been a great highlight for me to be back in contact with him.
0: Is he one of those guys that refuses to retire? Is he still doing what he's always done?
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine he will ever stop. Yeah, same, same with Joe. I think he's still. Actually, he's still writing a book about world music, but uh, yeah, I think <laughs> people don't stop really, do they? I hope not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, I can't talk. I did stop for 30 years, but then <laughs> I, I had a chance to, to carry on.
0: Well, you stopped one particular thing. Were you, were you exercising your creative muscle at all? In, in other ways during during that the, uh, the, the shy uh, <laughs> period,
2: the, uh, out of the out of the lime yeah, out, the out, out yeah. of the out of the person yeah well i think my children were my greatest <laughs> my greatest joy um yeah i suppose i did do drawing quite a lot of drawing but uh no drawing and a bit of painting but nothing mm-hmm. First you know, not to put it out into the world in any way. Right. Anything out into the world again until until Diamond Day.
0: I think everybody needs to, you know, they have to vent their mind in some way. And so I just figured, poetry, did that come out of you? Um, Just the way songs do? or Are they... Are your lyrics and songs always connected?
2: Mm. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I'm. I don't think same of time. As a, a. Yeah. Yeah. The. The. I. I don't find it easy if I have come up with it with a lyric or, or something resembling a poem or something resembling a song to put it to music. I find that really difficult. It, it, it's better if they come together. Um, and usually, usually one feeds it the other. Uh, certainly with Heart Leap, that just, mm. yeah, it just came in a in a stream of consciousness. And
0: the lyrics to the song Heart Leap, that's why I'm asking this. I, because it just, it does read as poetry and it's lovely, even without the music. Um, uh, it's just like it takes me on like a little it takes me on an emotional journey let's say it's yeah. very relatable
2: well good yeah well that's that, so
0: concise
2: well yes and that's something that i was <clears throat> pretty much conscious of doing was to be concise and not not to labor anything to just try to put into a, a, a short uh, a line or, or a verse, as possible, to mean to have the same impact as a lot of words. I really liked to make it, uh, yeah, concise is the the right word, I think.
0: In either figuratively or literally, what do you still carry with you from your horse and carriage journey?
2: I think what it taught me was not to be afraid of having very little. Um, I, I certainly felt that if I kept moving, if I kept doing it, trying <laughs> that what I needed would come to me, um, that could be completely not true, but it seemed to be true for me that to keep trying, it was really weird because you know, we didn't have any sense of danger and yet it was terribly dangerous <laughs> but we didn't have that that fear that anything could go wrong you know we just didn't have that and i love that about it that we just made it all up as we went along um we didn't have any fixed ideas we weren't making any kind of social statement or anything like that we were just Doing what we had to do to keep the horse fed, to keep water for the horse, to keep grass for the horse, to keep the dog from getting run over and to keep us fed and to make a fire to put the supper on, you know, that those things were keeping was, they certainly made me, uh, much better from all the terrible times I'd been through in London. It, it helped that I, I was concentrating on absolute immediate needs and that got me through and got me going along K- kept us going along and uh yeah I, I i don't remember being in any way scared of what was up the road and i i, I think about it pretty much every day now but I, you know i'm so grateful i'm in a house i'm in in a lovely city Um, and being outside with no shelter at all really because you know there's no stove in the wagon or anything like that Um, it makes me very grateful for what I have now Uh, and also quite proud of that young young person who just went and wasn't afraid.
1: Crowded, there. Glowworms show the path we have to tread. Dream as we should be asleep and moving slowly through the spring.
0: one thing I'd like to know uh, before we through is what would it take to get you out and about with an ensemble and sharing your songs again
2: again, right well, um, when the book came out would, yeah. when the book came out here last March, we did a, a, a big show at the Barbican in London and I had I had strings, I had uh, three different kinds of keyboards, I had the recorders, the four recorders that were on Diamond Day. I had this incredible quartet of recorders behind me. And my very special guitarist, Gareth Dixon, who's played and accompanied me for 15 years now. And all of us, and Fiona, uh, Fiona Bryce, who was the most incredible musical director, we had a really hard time because it was COVID and people kept dropping out because they got COVID or something had happened. And so, We only had the actual ensemble uh, together two days before the show. And it was a huge show, uh, but everybody was so professional and wonderful and, and, and enjoyed it. And that's the last time I was on the stage. And It it had been such an incredible, oh, my God, are we going to be able to do this? How is it going to work? And then it worked. I thought, well, maybe that's where I should leave it because it was so good and we all absolutely loved it and the audience were wonderful. Should I leave it there? But I don't know. I don't know if, if, if I'll do it again. I would like to. I would like to because... There's nothing like it, you know. Um, going around with my book is great. Is um, you know just having to carry a book instead of a guitar. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: and to be doing readings at festivals and things like that—it's a completely different kind of performance. But music. Will I play my guitar again? I'm not sure. I'm not sure but I can well I've been recording with Defender recently We've just been recording a song together So, yeah, I'm still singing, but whether I will perform on stage again, I just don't know. I don't know. Maybe.
0: OK, well, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep uh, rooting for that. That'd be great. You're not bringing your book across the pond, are you?
2: Well, my sister lives in New York. My oldest sister lives in New York and has been there for 60 years now. And. Um, And I'm hoping to come and visit her again soon because we haven't been over as much as I'd like. Um, My son lives in California and I I have more relatives in America than I do here. And um, yeah, COVID really messed messed things up for us, but uh, I'm hoping to come back um, and maybe, I don't know, who knows, who knows what will happen, but yes, I will bring my book over.
0: Okay, well, I'll try to track you down for that. (laughs) Um, it has been just immensely lovely speaking with you thank you where should our listeners look to find what you're up to and more of your music
2: ah well if I can get um, my website uh, fixed up by my nephew (laughs) and his son then there and that's at um anotherday.co.uk but at the moment it hasn't been updated for quite a while uh so i must get to that um but yeah i i think i try to be around on twitter occasionally and facebook oh. occasionally uh but i get a bit shy <laughs> but i will i will i think the more that i do interviews and um i will i will actually put stuff up on twitter and uh hopefully i can be found there occasionally
0: a lot of like political hot takes and oh yeah memes and things like that (laughs) lots of complaining
2: lots of political complaining (laughs)
0: Good, good. We need <laughs> more
2: of that. Yeah. Oh, my. The way it is just now is just crazy. <sighs> but, yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, it must be about supper time over there.
2: It is. Yeah. 10 past yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah.
0: Good. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Vashti. Vashti.
2: Vashti, yeah, Vashti. Yes. Oh my God, imagine going to school with that name. <laughs> it was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much.
0: And thank you for listening to Low Profile. I'm Markley Morrison, and I've been speaking with Vashti Bunyan, whose recent memoir, Wayward, is available from White Rabbit Publishing. You can find links to more of Vashti Bunyan's beautiful work on this episode's website at lowprofilepodcast.com. This episode was edited by Rose Nielsen. The episode art for this season is by Jack Hobbagger. Next month's featured guest is Bobby Hackney of the Detroit proto-punk band Death, who, like Vashti Bunyan, came to prominence after several decades of silence. Until next time, bless up and keep your ears open. Low Profile is a production of the Ruinous Media Network and KAOS 89.3 Olympia.